Welcome, this is According to Callus. This is episode 235, and for today's episode, it's going to be showing on a th- or <laughs> arriving on a Thursday, so we'll make this part of the uh, series of thoughtful Thursdays that I had done once upon a time, and I'm going to be taking a section from a book called Federalization, How Decentralization Can Save America, by Suzanne C. Sherman, who is an attorney who quit her practice to raise her children. In 2013, she left California to enjoy the peace and freedoms available in the remote location of the mountains of northeast Utah. She can be found at her website, www.suzannecsherman.com. So, I stumbled across this book. I purchased it, and to be honest, I have not yet read the whole thing. But when I was thinking about what do I want to talk about for Thursday's episode, I said, well, let's see what's in this book and let's see what I could, I don't know, do it in 20 to 30 minutes. So this issue uh, that she tackles is immigration. Now, as you all know, I'm a huge fan of Chris Ann Hall, Brian McClanahan, and Tom Woods. Now, Chris Ann Hall has talked about this on several occasions, and I know that uh, Brian McClanahan has talked about decentralization. So I'm going to read her little, I guess, synopsis on immigration, and then try and do justice, uh, an explanation on this, by utilizing what I have learned from both Brian McClanahan, Chris Ann Hall, and I guess to a lesser extent, Tom Woods. So here we go. This is on page 110 of her book entitled Immigration. Immigration has always been a point of contention, especially during the election cycles. Conservatives were outraged when the Obama administration transferred undocumented immigrants from the border to various locations throughout the country. They never questioned the authority of the federal administration to do this, and they cheered when President Trump pledged that he would build that wall. Upon election, he proceeded to do just that, only to see the Biden administration stop construction and what was built fall into disrepair. The Biden administration has continued the policy of relocating individuals who have sought to enter America illegally, often under the cover of darkness, using charter jets to fly them to airports around the country in the middle of the night. Governor Abbott of Texas is even working with landowners to further complete the wall, saying Biden is failing to do the job. From a strictly constitutional perspective, whose responsibility is it to regulate immigration? She's going to explore that next. So, page 111, the constitutional solution to immigration. In July of 2015, Kate Steinle, a U.S. citizen, was shot mortally wounded by a man who was in this country illegally. He used a firearm stolen from a vehicle of an FBI agent. Okay, I'm going to put a little pause here. Hopefully that FBI agent no longer has a job. But, be that as it may. The pause off. San Francisco is a sanctuary city and its leaders took heavy criticism for ignoring the federal immigration laws. Zarate was awaiting his sixth deportation and was released by federal immigration officials to the Sheriff's Department in San Francisco, who subsequently released him pursuant to their policies. Well, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4 of the United States Constitution empowers Congress to establish a an uniform 
rule of naturalization. Pause. Yes, Chris Ann Hall has mentioned this several times. Pause off. Naturalization means who may become a U.S. citizen, not who may enter the nation's borders, which is immigration. The Constitution was submitted to 13 states or independent countries, depending on how you want to look at it. Pause off. Uh, for ratification. The sovereign and independent states, okay, she got to it, through a compact formed a union which is voluntary in nature. Pause on. Unless, of course, you want to secede and Abraham Lincoln's president, in which case that you will be utterly destroyed and forced to rejoin the union. Pause off. Sentiments expressed in the Declaration of Independence. They regained the power, or retained the power to determine who could cross their borders and live within their societies as they never delegated this power to the general government. James Madison, pause on, for those of you that don't know, was a former president and was one of the founding fathers and wrote several of the Federalist Papers, pause off, unsuccessfully argued for a strong central government, but conceded that the new government was federal not national, and in Federalist 39, he wrote, it appears on the one hand that the Constitution is to be founded on the asset, assent and ratification of the people of America, given by deputies elected for the special purpose, but on the other, that this assent and ratification is to be given by the people, not as individuals composing one entire nation, but as composing the distinct and independent states to which they respectively belong. It is to be the assent and ratification of the several states derived from the supreme authority in each state and the authority of the people themselves. The act, therefore, establishing the Constitution will not be a national, but a federal act. She goes on, on page 113. Authority to determine the citizenship of the Union rests within the general government, but the power to control the immigration remains with the states. The federal system of government has been inverted and immigration became a national issue. Article 1, Section 9 reads, the relevant part, the migration importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to year 1808 which would be 1808 for those of you following along. This section was added to gain the cooperation of the slaveholders in the ratification process and was intended to restrict the general government from banning the importation of slaves until the year 1808. In no way can it be implied that Congress had the authority to regulate immigration after that year as the powers delegated to Congress were enumerated in Article 1, Section 8, the farmers, or I'm sorry, the framers listed naturalization, not immigration. Sovereign states would be reluctant to surrender their authority to determine who could enter and live within their borders. Local policy and social decision-making authority were to rest within the states. This is the essence of the federal system the states created, and when they ratified the Constitution... With a national system, decisions affecting over 330 million people are decided by select few, sometimes as few as five. Again, for those of you not following along, she's referring to the Supreme Court. The American War for Independence was fought to preserve a system where individuals were represented by local government bodies. When we allow ourselves to live under a system of national rule, 
Every issue becomes a point of contention, and inconsistent state rulings serve, as justifi- or serve to justify a decree by the United States Supreme Court, often in the matters it has no authority to hear in the first place. Ding, ding. She continues, again on page 114, The federal government provides financial benefits to those who cross the borders illegally, so there is a financial reward for violating federal immigration laws. Should a state decide to open its borders, it has the authority to do so according to the Constitution as ratified. A neighboring state could refuse to provide benefits, free education, housing, medical care to such individuals, forcing the host state to bear the financial burden of its policies. The national financial lure encourages illegal immigration to all the states, regardless of the preferences of the citizens of the different states. California has chosen to become a sanctuary state, and it should bear the responsibility for the burdens this policy creates. California's border with Mexico is under under federal control, yet migrants cross absent proper documentation. And California's policy is to care for those who arrive and decide to stay. The federal government distributes funds to pay for programs supporting undocumented immigrants. Now, Nebraska can argue its residents should not fund California's programs. Excuse me. California claims it is a donor state and could pay for these programs if they declared their independence. Pause. I am all for that. California, please feel free to go on your own. Pause off. One state's residents must pay for the policies of another. The farm or the framers took painstaking measures to ensure this would not happen. And to accept federal dominion over the state's immigration preferences is to reject the notion that states can manage their own internal affairs. All right, now she's got an example here. On April 12th, 2019, the Los Angeles Times published an article with the following headline. Trump threatens to dump immigrants into California's sanctuary cities. He threatened to bus migrants held in detention centers near the border and release them into districts of Democrat lawmakers who oppose the president's immigration policies. Trump told reporters, California certainly is always saying, oh, we want more people. And they want more people in their sanctuary cities. Well, we'll give them more people. We'll give them a lot. We can give them an unlimited supply. See, let's see if they're so happy. There's nothing in these statements to leave anyone with the impression that Trump is concerned about the consequences or the legality of the proposal. According to the Times, it's not clear what legal authority, if any, the government would have to transport detainees a long distance before releasing them. Such commentary did not arise when Obama and Biden did the same thing, mind you. The federal, she continues on page 116, the federal government has no constitutional authority to declare whether immigrants are here legally, much less bust them to other cities. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, the United States Constitution empowers the Congress to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. Naturalization has nothing to do with who may or may not cross the country's borders. People are confused because they consider immigration and naturalization to be synonymous. Another source of the confusion is the erroneous interpretation, your erroneous interpretation of the supremacy clause found in Article Four of the Constitution, which states that the Constitution and the laws of the United States made in pursuance thereof are the supreme law of the land. Okay, now she's getting to Chris Ann Hall's territory here. Pause back off. 
The Tenth Amendment states says that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited to it by the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. The power to determine immigration status and policy rests within the states. No federal administration has the authority to detain immigrants or bus detainees anywhere, let alone to the districts of political opponents. Critics of the previous administration's abuses are now applauding the abuses of the current administration, all for the purposes of payback and political gain. They find the president's statements to be humorous, and at best, but we are told not to take him too seriously. Okay, now she's going to shift gears here. History set precedent for this behavior. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln, pause on, my favorite president, not, pause off, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which, quote-unquote, freed the slaves. Thanks to this act, he is falsely hailed by the indoctrinated as the great emancipator, quote-unquote. Yet, what has been taught as a humanitarian act was a military tactic. Lincoln wanted to keep England out of the war and from acknowledging CSA as a belligerent nation. The logical and likely intended outcome was that slaves would revolt against their masters, meaning that women and children left home while the men fought. Slaves in the states remaining in the Union were not affected, nor were the slaves in the South in areas under federal control. Any state rejoining the Union within 100 days would be allowed to keep their slaves indicating his lack of commitment to ending the particular institution with the low scare quotes. United States immigration policies, particularly since 1965, have been aimed at shifting political demographics. Uh-oh. Pause on. I think she just talked about the grace replacement theory. She might get in trouble for that. Shame on her. Pause off. Federal policies benefit big government. Federally planned and subsidized importation of people from the third world countries has helped change the political climate to the benefit of the top-down, consolidated government the framers rejected. Rather than seeing the current debacle as amusing a form of payback, we must understand that human beings are affected. Politicians have dehumanized real, living, breathing people for political theater. Obama brought migrants in to benefit the policy objectives. Trump is advocating keeping them out to keep his campaign promises. Trump cannot, in good faith, argue that these immigrants are a danger to society and subsequently threaten to relocate them as punishment into communities not supportive of his political objectives. When the Constitution was, I'm sorry, she continues on now page 119. When the Constitution was ratified, the framers created a system intended to avoid this very crisis. Yet we have sunk to new lows. Some demand open borders. Those citing the Constitution claim they are right and demand the nation borders be shut and the undocumented be removed. Both sides fail to understand the Constitution was intended to ensure that states would be the ones to determine who would remain within their borders. From Lincoln to present-day administrations, we are witness to the weaponized or the weaponization of marginalized classes of people for political gain. Those cheering the behavior on this should take a hard look at the real issue and ask whether those who fought and died for our independence wished they would have stayed home. Uh, wow. Uh, I want to congratulate and thank Suzanne Sherman, Suzanne C. Sherman, if you will, 
up in Utah. Uh, that was a great little section from her book, and I look forward to reading the rest of it. And it seems very much in line to that which uh, Brian McClanahan and Chris Ann Hall have taught and advocated. Kudos. It's always good to find people that can reach the same conclusion uh, without even necessarily knowing each other. And I got to tell you, I often have brought up the fact that a good number of these folks that are coming here, and in fact, in the last episode, I mentioned it, they really, truly are in a bad situation. I can't fault them for wanting to leave that situation. I don't have to be excited or enthusiastic that they want to come here because quite frankly, if you're not adding to the society other than numbers, that's not necessarily beneficial for the whole society either. But it's kind of awkward to say, get lost. We don't want you here because quite frankly, that's not always true either. In a wall, yes, no. I got a legitimate concern that it's only a matter of time before it will be utilized for the exact opposite thing that they we were told it was built for. For those of you who don't know, the entire time the Berlin Wall was being built, the people in Berlin, East Berlin in particular, were being told it was to keep out the people from West Berlin. They were being told that they didn't want those West Berliners coming in and affecting the rest of East Berlin and East Germany for that matter. They were walling it off to protect them, you understand. But the reality is they were keeping those people inside. They were corralling those people. They were preventing the interaction. Much like the Iron Curtain or the Bamboo Curtains, when you prevent people from traveling... When, when you shut down access to other options, you're not really doing your people any favors, in my opinion. So, that, that I got to say, the book's Federalism. I found it on Amazon. Subtitle is How Decentralization Can Save America. I don't think it was that expensive. And I would highly recommend, if you're listening to my voice, consider purchasing it and take the time to read it. It's less than a couple hundred pages long. And uh, I'll look forward to reading the rest of the book here in the next few weeks. And I'll probably even do a review and report on it. I've got a few other books I've been in the process of reading right now. So I probably need to wrap those up first. Well, my friends, <laughs> uh, I'm going to wrap it up early. Hey, that was episode 235. That was uh, constitutional immigration from the words of... Susan C. Sherman in the book was called Federalism, How Decentralization Can Save America. Ladies and gentlemen, even if you don't like the sound of my voice or enjoy my podcast, I strongly recommend you go pick up that book and give it a perusal and a read. For those of you that did actually enjoy this, please like, share, subscribe, leave me a comment. Let me know you're there. And Everything that I did tonight is directly applicable to Texas and the very issues that we're dealing with right here and right now. With that, I will see you on the other side.